today, the movie we're gonna be looking at is a movie called The Good Dinosaur. Uh, and I just wanna let you know, last week we did Eddie the Eagle and it was based on a true story, but The Good Dinosaur is not based on a true story, okay? So some of you are disappointed now, I just shattered your dreams. Uh, but this is not based on a true story. This is a work of fiction entirely. So just know that. Um, but this story is a story about a, a young Apatosaurus named Arlo. He's growing up in kind of the typical prehistoric dinosaur family. Uh, he's the youngest of three on a farm and his family works very hard to maintain that farm. Arlo and his siblings, Libby and Buck, share responsibilities for the chores on the farm. Buck picks on Arlo uh, mercilessly because of his size and because Arlo is afraid of, of just about everything. Uh, the family's trying to set enough food aside to last them through the winter, but they keep having problems with critters getting into their corn. something to mess around with there, Arlo. Be careful. What's the problem? Papa, Henrietta is the worst one in the coop. Yesterday, he said footless Fran was the worst. She's only got one foot. <laughs> you don't have to like him, Arlo. You just have to feed him. That should do it. Now, this will keep them rotten critters from stealing our food, because I made this silo 100% critter-proof. Put your mark on there, Henry. You earned it. Yeah, Papa, do it. Come on. Yeah. Only if your mama does it first. If anyone's earned a mark around here, it's her. Did you just put your mark higher than mine? What? No. It's just the angle you're looking at it. 
the angle, huh? Hold on. It's not that easy. You've got to earn your mark by doing something big for something bigger than yourself. Someday you'll all make your mark. And I can't wait to see it. You know, something we have in common with Arlo and his siblings, did you see how they were clamoring there at the end? They wanted to make their mark too. And their dad said, no, 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 hold on. It doesn't work like that. But I think all of us instinctively want to live a life that lives, it leaves a mark. Uh, none of us want to live a life where we just breathe in and breathe out until we stop breathing in and breathing out. We all want to live a life that makes a difference in this world, that, that, that impacts other people, that, a life that, that has legacy. Um, and Arlo and his siblings were no different. They wanted to leave their mark. But something happens in our life. Sometimes as we get older, we start dr stop dreaming about how we might leave our mark, and we start just settling into the routine of being a grown-up. We just pay the bills and go to work and just kind of live our lives, and we forget to dream about leaving our mark on this world and making a difference. But the truth is, um, really, I think some of us get to the point where not, we not only forget that, but we stop thinking it's possible. We, we start thinking that maybe we're not good enough to leave a mark. Maybe we've blown it. Maybe we've missed our chance to leave a mark. But I'm telling you today, no matter who you are, no matter what your background is, uh, no matter what your job title is, none of that stuff matters. The truth is, every one of you in this room were born to leave a mark. Every one of us were born to make a mark. And if you don't believe me, let me read a passage of scripture to you. This is Jeremiah chapter one, verse five. God was speaking to the prophet Jeremiah and, and Jeremiah relayed this in the book. Uh, but he said this, this is what God says to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So God tells Jeremiah, before you were even conceived, I had a purpose and plan for you. He said, I consecrated you. That means he set him apart for a specific purpose. Then he said, I, I made you a priest to the nations. Before he was ever even born, before he was ever conceived, God had a purpose and plan for him. And this is not isolated to just the prophet Jeremiah. I would tell you today that before you were born, before you were even conceived, God had a purpose and a plan and a destiny for your life. He, he wants you to leave a mark on this world. You were born to do that. Because so many of us just settle into a quiet routine of just getting by. But God wants us to live for a bigger purpose than that. He wants us to do something great, to do something important, to do something valuable. And every one of us in this room can do something great for the glory of God. It's not limited to those that are just called to full-time ministry or those who have a, a specific gifting. Every one of us in this room can do something great for the glory of God if we'll simply do what he asks us to do. The psalmist said in one, uh, Psalm 139, verse 13, he says this, for you formed my inward parts, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. There are mornings that we wake up and we look in the mirror and we don't feel very fearfully and wonderfully made. Am I right? Am I the only one? You look in the mirror in the morning and you go, uh, I don't know, right? Like, Ooh, I told the earlier service, that's why I grew the beard, so I could hide it a little bit, and, uh, you know, hide some of the ugly in the morning, I look a little better. But what scripture tells us is that God puts you together. 
He knows you so intimately well that he sculpted you. He made you. He put you together in your mother's womb. And the psalmist says, I, I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. See, no matter what's been said about you in your life, no matter how you feel about yourself, when you look at yourself in the mirror and think that you're a failure and think that all the things that society tells you to think, you can look at yourself and say, you know what? None of the labels matter because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God handcrafted me to do something great for his glory. God put you together. He goes on to say, wonderful are your works. Now listen to this. You are the craftsmanship and handiwork of God. And, and the psalmist says here, wonderful are your works. And if, if you are God's workmanship, then guess what? You are wonderful. You, you might not feel wonderful, but I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, you are wonderful. Now turn to your other neighbor and say, you are wonderful. This is a church full of wonderful people. Do you know Why? Because we are God's craftsmanship. We are his handiwork. And his work is wonderful. Now listen, if we are his workmanship and we're his craftsmanship and we're his handiwork, that's all fine and well. But he didn't just, he didn't just make us so that we could survive. Like I said earlier, he made us to live a life of greatness, to do something incredible for him. And this is what the, the Paul says to the church at Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 2. Verse eight, he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. So again, we've talked about this passage before. We're not saved by our work. We can't work hard enough to earn salvation. It doesn't work like that. What happens is God is gracious enough to allow sinners to know saving grace in Jesus Christ. Because of the blood of Christ, we are, we are covered with his righteousness and it's not something we've earned or done good enough for. We can't attend church enough. We can't volunteer enough. We can't serve enough. Our works do not grant us access into heaven. What grants us access into heaven is the grace of God. That's it. It's a free gift because we are people and we would brag about it if we could work hard enough. Oh, well, you got into heaven. It took you a little longer than did me because I worked harder, I guess. Well, I just, I'm, such, I'm such a gifted Christian that uh, I'm gonna sit in a good section in heaven. Oh, you're in the back? That's okay. You're sitting in the balcony? Well, at least you're there. That's good, right? <laughs> we can't brag about it, though, because it's not our own work. It's the work of God. It's his grace in our lives. Now, it goes on to say, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to be complacent and happy in our lives. Wait, that's not what it says. It says, created in Christ Jesus, for good works. Now listen, it says, which, he, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God created us, we are his workmanship, and why did he create us? Why did he make us? He made us for good works. He made us to live out a life that makes a difference in the world around us, that leaves a mark. He's prepared it for us, all we have to do is walk in it. That's it. How do we do that? See, if you look at the movie, the kids were able to leave their mark whenever they would do their assigned tasks, but do their assigned tasks well. So in the film that we just saw the clip of, um, Buck and the sister, they got to leave their mark on the grain silo, but they only got to do it when they performed their assigned tasks and performed them with excellence and performed them really well. Because see, Papa said, um, you gotta do something great that's bigger than yourself. And I would say the same criteria is true for us. How do we leave a mark? Well, we leave a mark when we know what we're supposed to do and when we do it well. I will tell you that 
Obedience and faithfulness are the keys that unlock the door that turn your life into a life that's marked. If you will live faithfully and obediently to the things that God has called you to do, you will live a marked life. It's going to impact your family. It's gonna impact your workplace. It's gonna impact the people around you. And it's gonna make a difference for all eternity. Man, we don't like hear messages about faithfulness and obedience. But when we know what God wants us to do, and we do that, and we're faithful and obedient to doing that, that's when he can do great things in our lives. See, in, in the movie, Papa said, you gotta earn it. And that's what we have to do. We don't earn our salvation, I said that already. It's a free gift. But what we do with our salvation, that's when we say, God, I'm gonna be faithful and obedient to everything you've asked me to do. And I'm gonna do it really well so that I can leave a mark in this world, so that I can make a difference, so I can impact the world around me. Papa asks Arlo, he assigns chores to all the kids, but he asks Arlo to guard the food and kill the critter that's responsible for eating all their corn. And Arlo catches the critter, but he's a softy like me, and he lets, lets it go. Unfortunately, uh, Papa decides they need to go hunt the critter down after Arlo lets it go. And so this is a Disney movie, and uh, you know how Disney movies go. Somebody's gonna die. And in this movie, uh, Papa, unfortunately, is caught in a flash flood in the river, and, and he loses his life. Arlo returns he comes back to normal life, but it's just not the same. He feels responsible for the death of his father and he commits to catching that critter who he blames for his father's death and he's gonna kill that critter once and for all. So as he is endeavoring to do that, he chases the critter and they fall into the, their sweeping river and they're swept away. They're swept miles and miles away from home. When he comes to, he has to figure out where he is and how he's going to get home. The problem is he's injured and isn't sure how he's even gonna survive. And that's when he discovers an unlikely friend in the critter who's responsible for all of his misery.
one purpose was to track down this critter and kill it. He felt like this animal was responsible or this little boy was responsible for, for all the misery in his life. His father died and it was his fault. Um, he'd been swept away from home and it was this, this boy's fault. And so he had put all of his hostility on this boy. He was gonna kill him. That was what his goal was. And he found himself in a position where he was vulnerable and all of a sudden he was receiving help from his enemy. And it began to change things for him. I don't know about you, but um, for, for me, it's easy to love the people that love me. And you're more saved than I am, I know. Um, but it's easy for me to love the people who love me, and it's hard to love the people who don't love me. Am I right? And it's just like that, where it's human nature. And something powerful happens, though, whenever we begin to extend love and kindness and generosity to people who we feel like maybe don't deserve it. It begins to change them. This is what I would tell you today, that generosity can turn an adversary into an ally. Generosity and loving someone and being kind to them and being gracious to them can take somebody who's out to get you and turn them into your favor. And it's not about manipulating people, but it's about reflecting the love of Christ to people who we may maybe feel like don't deserve it. There's a story um, in Luke chapter 10. Last week, I, I started this passage, but I told you that last week there was this lawyer that approached Jesus and said, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus said, well, what does scripture say? And how do you interpret it? And, and this lawyer said, uh, well, I have to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, yeah, that's right, that's, that's correct. And so what I didn't read to you last week though is the lawyer follows up his statement with another question. He says, well, who then is my neighbor? And, and haven't we all asked questions like this before? Like, what is the minimum standard is really what he was asking. Like, who, who really do I have to love? Is it the per people that share a property line with me? Or is it the people across the street? Because I can't stand that guy, God. So who, who am I supposed to share, you know, be, be in, who's my neighbor? Who am I supposed to love? So tell me, do I have to love my mother-in-law? That's what people are asking, right? And by the way, I love my mother-in-law. I've got a great mother-in-law. So that, but they're wanting to know what's the minimum standard. And so many times as Christians, we ask that question. Well, what can I get away with? And that's the wrong question to ask. And so this lawyer's looking for an answer. He's looking for, uh, okay, here's what the minimum standard is. And Jesus doesn't play that game. And I love that. Jesus doesn't do that. Uh, and I told you last week, Jesus loves to tell stories. He's a storyteller. And, and Jesus tells him a story. So in Luke chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So it's implied that it's a Jewish man. Since he's going from Jerusalem, it was a Jewish man. Uh, and it says, from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest 
was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So a Jewish priest was walking down the road, sees this man uh, naked and beaten and battered and half dead, and he goes to the other side of the road so he can avoid the situation. Verse 32 says, so likewise, a Levite, another Jewish religious leader, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So another guy sees this. He crosses the street to avoid it altogether. He does not want to have to interact. And we don't know why. Maybe there's a good reason. I cannot imagine a good reason. So these two Jewish religious men bypass this Jewish guy altogether. Now listen to this. It says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now this is why this is important. Culturally speaking at this time, uh, Jewish people and Samaritans did not get along. Now Jewish people regarded Samaritans as half-breeds, if I can say it that way. Um, Samaritans had an impure bloodline because they had Jewish blood in them, but they were not pure Jewish. And so Jewish people looked at Samaritans as abominations almost. They just didn't even wanna have anything to do with them. In fact, their feeling was so strong that if they had a journey to take and it was easier to go through Samaria to get there, they would take an extra day or two on their journey and avoid Samaria altogether. They would walk around Samaria on their journey to avoid having to be near Samaritans. And because Jewish people felt so strongly about Samaritans in that time, Samaritans reciprocated. It's natural. So they weren't crazy about Jewish people either. So there was a lot of hostility, a lot of tension between these two people groups. Now, thank God that we're past that today in the modern world. We don't have any issues like that in the world we live in today, right? These two people were, they had a lot of animosity toward each other. But yet we see in this passage, in this story, Jesus says, hey, these two Jewish guys, they abandoned their responsibility to take care of who literally was their brother, their kin, but here comes a Samaritan, and he sees this man, and he has compassion on him. He sees this man in a desperate situation. It's somebody, he's not entitled to love because they're enemies. But he sees him, and he regards him, and he has compassion on him. Verse 34 goes on to say, He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So this is what he does. He says, I'm gonna take care of him. I'm gonna do triage for him at the site. I'm gonna get him patched up and then I'm gonna put him on my own animal. I'll walk while he rides. I'm gonna take him to an inn, pay the cost for him to be at the inn and then I'm gonna tell the innkeeper whatever more you spend, I'll take care of it. What an incredible act of generosity. What an incredible act of kindness. And then Jesus asks, he says this to the, to the lawyer. He says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And then the lawyer responded and said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. Uh, who, who showed mercy? Who was the real neighbor? Well, it was the one who had an excuse not to be neighborly. And he says, you go and do likewise. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, go love the people who don't love you. Go love the people who criticize you. Go love the people who may be out to get you. Go go show mercy and kindness and compassion and generosity to the people who you consider enemies. 
So like I said, it's easy to love people who love you. It's hard to love people who don't love you. But when we do, it can turn an enemy into an ally. I hadn't planned on sharing this story this weekend. I've shared it already. Then I want to share it with you as well. But um, it's, it's inc- really is incredible what God is doing at the summit. It's incredible to see the number of people that are being saved and lives that are being changed. Just, it is unbelievable. Uh, statistically, uh, we, are, we are one of the fastest growing churches in the United States just based on how we've grown and what God is doing here. And, and God gets all the glory for that. I'm grateful for that. I'm so glad that I get to be a part of it. Um, now, now listen, um, when I first came to the summit, I had about 90 days when, uh, after I came that... Um, that there were some people who weren't always supportive. I'm gonna say this as diplomatically as I can. And they would, they would let me know that they didn't like me or something I did or something we were doing or planning to do. And they would let me know about that. And so I literally made a file. Anything I got electronically, I've got it on my computer and I made a file called hate mail. <laughs> and, uh, and then I literally have have all the hard copies. If somebody sent me letters, I've got them in my desk. And I'm, I'm sadistic, I'm crazy. But um, what we did is when this stuff would come in, sometimes people on our staff would hear about it. Sometimes our staff would hear about some of the criticism or just some of it was really personal and hateful. Some of it was not. It was just run-of-the-mill church stuff. But um, so there was some discussion about it. Well, should we talk about it? Should, we, should you say something from stage about it? I was like, no, we're not gonna say anything from stage about it. Well, what are we gonna do? And I said, well, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna love people. We're gonna love on them. The, the people that are critical, I'm, we're gonna love on them and we're gonna treat them well. We're gonna treat them with dignity and respect. And because your first inclination is to go, well, if you don't like it, just leave, right? Fine, we don't need you anyway. But I said, that's not the heart of Christ. So what are we gonna do? Well, we're gonna love them. And that, that's not easy. It's hard to love people that are critical and, and sometimes hateful. And you know what? About a year ago, it was funny. Um, I shared this with our staff. So I've, I kept all that junk. I'm crazy. My wife said, you should throw that stuff away. But I kept it all. And about a year ago, I went through it. And it was incredible because um, as I started going through it, I realized about 90% of the stuff we got were from people that are still in our church. And it's not because they stayed hateful or mean or angry or upset about whatever they were upset about then, but what happened is as we loved them and, and just embraced them and walked with them through some of their stuff, somebody who I felt like was a little bit of an enemy became an ally. As we extended generosity and just said, hey, we don't have to agree on everything, but we're gonna love you anyway, it was amazing to see the turn that's happened. And again, so there might be some of you in the room that were responsible for some of that. I don't have no hard feelings at all. I love you and I'm for you and I'm so glad that you're still part of this church. But this is the thing. If we would have responded based on our nature, those people wouldn't be part of our church anymore because I would have responded hatefully and defensively and I would have not had the heart of Christ. But what happened is love and generosity turned an enemy into an ally. And the same thing is true in your life. If you've got somebody in your life that, that you look at as an adversary, adverse, adversary for you, I'm gonna get the word right, an adversary in your life, all you have to do is begin to love them and begin to act generously with them and extend grace to them the same way you would like to receive grace. And I am telling you today, God is gonna turn an adversary into an ally in your life. But it takes you living generously and it takes you extending uh, yourself beyond what you're comfortable extending yourself. Dr. Martin Luther King, he... Um, 
This was a man that was arrested more than 20 times. His family um, was attacked. His house was firebombed. Um, he was, his life was threatened more times than I'm sure he could count. Uh, but this is what he wrote from jail. He said this, he said, hate multiplies hate in a descending spiral of violence. Hate is just as injurious to the person who hates as to its victims. So he's saying the person who hates, it, it hurts them as much as it does the person or the source of their hate. And he goes on to say, but love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend for it has creative and redemptive power. When we love people who, who maybe we feel like don't deserve it, it's amazing what God can do to transform a situation and change a situation for his glory. See, something powerful happens for Arlo as he begins to see this transformation in his relationship. Um, he, he takes this young boy and he names him Spot and they become friends. They begin to take care of each other and help each other on their journey home. And Spot can't speak, so they have trouble communicating at times, but the message is very clear. I miss I miss my family. Family. That's me. There's Libby. And Buck. And Mama.
I've never lost uh, someone in my direct family. I've never lost uh, a parent or a child or a sibling or anyone that I was really close to. Uh, but I've walked with enough families through that process to be able to tell you um, that when we're grieving over the loss of someone we love, um, you know, people will say, well, hey, it'll heal and time heals all wounds. But the truth is, I don't know that we ever fully heal from a loss from someone we're really close to. Um, and maybe you're here today and you're grieving a loss of someone that you really care about. Maybe you feel like there's a void that'll never be filled. And I will tell you, I'm grateful that God has sent the Holy Spirit for us. And Jesus calls him the comforter, but he, he comforts us through our time of loss and mourning. And I don't know that the, the void is ever filled, but I'm grateful that God helps us walk through that in a way that ultimately can bring him glory. And maybe you're here and you haven't physically lost someone, but maybe you're here today and you just have kind of a rough family. Maybe you've got a, a parent or a loved one that's abandoned you, that won't return your calls, that maybe you're estranged from. And you're grieving that today. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, and I wish there was something I could do. I wish I could wave a magic wand and make it all better. But I'm grateful that, that Scripture doesn't describe this group of people here in this room as just a bunch of people who happen to get together to hear preaching or hear some music. But the Bible describes us as a common household. The Bible describes us as a family. And, and what we have to know today is, is that we all need family. Every one of us in this place, we need family. Even in this film, you see Arlo is isolated and alone trying to get home, and he began to build a family relationship with someone totally different than him in this child spot. And it reminds me, there's a passage from Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter two, Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus, and it's a church that's very diverse. Uh, you have everyone there is believers, but you have Jewish believers who come from a Jewish background. You have believers that are Gentiles, that they did not, they're not Jewish by heritage, so they've come to saving grace of Jesus Christ, but no Jewish background to deal with. And so they have these different views, and there's conflict between these groups. And so Paul addresses this in Ephesians chapter 2. He starts in verse 18, and he says, for through him, and he's talking of Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So he's saying in spite of our differences because of Jesus, we, we have common ground. And he says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So he's saying in spite of our differences, God is using us to build the kingdom of God. And this kingdom that God is building is far bigger and far more important than a structure, than some church building. What he's building is truly a kingdom that's united in spite of our differences, in spite of our ethnic differences, in spite of our political differences, in spite of all the things that could divide us. What we see here, what Paul is saying to the church is, the differences that we have are less important than our common ground, and our common ground is Jesus Christ. So our common ground in Jesus Christ unites us, and together we're able to build the kingdom. Together we're able to build something great for the glory of God. We are of one house. We have a common dwelling place together. 
We, we share common ground. And I've, I've talked about this before, but, um, you know, we have family of birth and family of choice. Um, every one of us are born into a family, and you don't have a choice over the family you're born into. You don't get a vote. You just happen to be born into that family. And I will tell you this, no matter how healthy your family might seem, in your family, there's gonna be a freak and a weirdo. There will be. And if you say you don't have a freak or weirdo in your family, that probably means that the freak or weirdo is you. (laughs) Your whole family knows it. You just don't realize it, right? All of us have a family. Maybe I love my family. I was born into a great family. I love my family. Some of my best friends are my, my parents, and I love my sister and their kids, all those kind of things. But we got some weirdos in our family. That's okay. Maybe you're born into a family who's not supportive. Maybe you're born into a family who, who doesn't believe in you. Maybe you're born into a family who, who's, who's broken and it just doesn't feel like it's a healthy place. That's your family of birth. But you have a family of choice as well. And I'm grateful that this house can be a common ground for us. It can be a common house. It can be a household of faith where we can love each other. We can share each other's lives together. This can be a family of choice for us. And we can share our victories and mourn our defeats together. And this is something as our church is growing, it's increasingly hard to do. And that's why small groups are important. That's why relationships are important. But, but something I hear regularly, and I know some of our other pastors hear this as well, when, when tragedy happens or things happen in someone's life and we come alongside and we assist and help and just walk them through their pain and their grieving and their hurt, I don't know how many times I've heard people say, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for being here. Thank you for helping. Thank you for giving. Thank you for whatever it was. And and my typical response is, hey, you're welcome. That's what families do. That's what a healthy family does. A healthy family takes care of each other, right? And maybe your family wasn't a healthy family. Maybe you didn't see that, but that's what a healthy family does. So when we come alongside and we help and support, when somebody from your small group come alongside you, comes alongside you and helps you and supports you and walks you through a difficult season, you gotta understand that's what family does. We're not family of birth. Good Lord, look at the diversity in this room. We're different, different backgrounds. Some of us, different ethnicities, different socioeconomic groups, um, different political classes. We've got people on the far, far right and people on the far, far left and, and our politics separate us. But do you know what di- it brings us together? Is the blood of Christ. It's the cause of Jesus Christ that together, in spite of our differences, we can be family of choice. We can share this household and we can share a cause and say your wins are my wins and your losses are my losses and we're in this thing together. See, I imagine, in the spirit, I imagine God draws a big circle around this church. And he says, we are family. No matter what happens outside this church, no matter what goes on, if somebody is out to get you, I got your back. If you need help, I got your back. We are family. I can imagine that's what God wants for us, is to be family together, to support each other, because the truth is we all need family. Let's pray. God, I love you, and I'm thankful that in spite of diversity and differences, God, we are family, and you're the one who unites us. So thank you. Thank you for loving us before we ever loved you. Thank you for caring for us 
before we ever cared for you. Thank you for, Lord, extending generosity. Scripture says that we were your enemies. You extended generosity and love and kindness to us, and Lord, now we're family with you, so thank you for that. God, I pray that we would reflect that same kind of love in the world around us. God, help us love our enemies well. God, just, just like Jesus spoke to the lawyer and said, you go and do likewise, God, let us go and do likewise. Let us turn an adversary into an ally, God. And I pray, Lord, today you would help us endeavor to live a life that leaves a mark in this world. God, let us not be satisfied with just breathing in and out, but God, let us leave a mark on our families, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in this world. So God, have your way. Speak to us today. Challenge us today. Stretch us today. And let us not be satisfied walking out of this place the same way we walked in. Now, with your head bowed and your eyes closed today, if you're here and you're not walking with Christ, you're not in a relationship with Jesus, but you know you need to be, you recognize today you're on this journey alone and you're not supported, you don't have any help, and you're lost. Maybe that's you. I want you to know today, we wanna come alongside you. We wanna help you. We wanna help you get on the right path. We wanna connect you with Jesus Christ. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna make you come forward. I just wanna pray with you right where you are. So if you're here today and you acknowledge, Mel, that's me. I want you to pray for me. I need Jesus in my life today. I need to give my life to God. I'm just gonna ask you, would you be bold enough just to raise your hand real high where I can see it? Then you can put it right back down. Is there anyone? Thank you over here on my right. Yeah, three hands on my right. Praise God. Who else says that's me? Pray for me. Thank you over here on my right. Thank you. Two, three hands on my left. Praise God. Who else says that's me? Pray for me. Just a few more seconds. Anybody in the balcony? See you in the back. Thank you, ma'am. Praise the Lord. Thank you. I see you up there. Praise God. Praise God. All right, with nobody looking around, I want us all to pray this prayer together. Whether you raised your hand or not, I want every one of us to say this prayer out loud. Say it from your heart. Let's pray it out loud. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me and thank you for giving your life to pay the price for my sin. I give my life to you and I ask you to use it for your glory. Take my life and use it to make a mark in this world. Thank you for loving me. I love you and I dedicate my life to serving you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, come on, let's celebrate that together today. Thank you, Jesus. Listen, if you prayed that prayer or uh, maybe you didn't raise your hand but you prayed it and you meant it, I want you to take a step for me. I want you to do something for me. There's a card that looks like this one in the seat back in front of you. Take just a moment, fill this card out and drop it in one of our offering boxes before you leave today. After you do that, in the next day or two, one of our staff is gonna reach out to you. They're gonna help you take the next step on your journey. Just like Arlo needed somebody to help him find his way home. He didn't know how to get home. We wanna help you find your way home. We wanna help you on your journey so that you're not in this thing alone. So help us help you. Fill this card out, drop it in one of our offering boxes. Let us help you with that. If you need prayer today for any reason, you can fill out this prayer card, drop it in one of our offering boxes. You can also email your prayer need to prayer at summitpa.church. 
or at the conclusion of the service as we're finishing up in just a moment, our prayer team is gonna be coming up during this last song of worship. As they do, and I want you to feel free to step out from your seat, find one of our prayer team members and let them pray with you about whatever is going on in your life. So let us know, we wanna help you. You're not in this thing alone. We truly are family together. So stand to your feet all over the room. We're gonna worship together one more time. Then in just a moment, Pastor Todd will dismiss us. Guys, I love you more than you know, and I'm so honored I get to be your pastor. God bless you and have a great week.